Hello and welcome to Produce Talks, the CPMA podcast covering the current and emerging issues and latest news in the fresh fruit and vegetable industry. I'm your host, Ian Brody. Today's talk is on variety. We'll cover the innovations, the drivers, and the processes from concept to commercialization when it comes to offering new varieties, specifically looking at apples and grapes. Here we go. The concept for this episode all started with the much-anticipated December launch of the Cosmic Crisp Apple. As I was reading up on the new Apple variety, the more I realized all the dynamic components to launching a new variety, going from conceptualization to commercialization. When you consider there are thousands of apples and grapes out there, there's lots to unpack when it comes to offering variety and making a new product stick. So later we'll chat with Mac Riggin from Chelan Fresh to talk apples, and Bill Polis from Oppie to talk table grapes. We're going to start off first with Kate Evans from Washington State University and Catherine Grandy from Proprietary Variety Management to talk about the launch of the Cosmic Crisp and look more broadly at the breeding processes and innovation behind developing a new variety. Kate and Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Ian. Catherine, uh, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, can you start off by talking about proprietary variety management and the role of PVM? Back in about 2003, PVM was uh, brought in to bid uh, the commercialization of Cosmic Crisp at the time, WA 38. And we subsequently uh, were granted the contract with WSU. What we do is we are a commercialization company. So we build the trademarks, not only in Washington State for WA38, but globally around the world and help get the plant PBRs or comparable in various countries around the world for trademark protection and, and plant rights protection. We go through the entire commercialization process uh, from, you know, starting at that point all the way through to executing a consumer marketing program, to conduct consumer focus groups, you know, solidified naming of the apple, build the branding. We have a database system that tracks plantings and uh, the grower billing and all aspects along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything on the commercialization side. Correct. And when I mentioned to you how I wanted to talk about the, the breeding and innovation side of things, you said, well, we got to get Kate Evans in here. So thanks again, Kate, for, for joining. Uh, you are a professor and horticulturalist at Washington State University. Uh, I understand that you are responsible for overseeing the final stages of breeding and, and the release of the Cosmic Crisp. So you're absolutely correct. I came into this process back in 2008. So that was when the the apple that subsequently became named uh, Cosmic Crisp was just moving into what we call a third phase of evaluation in the breeding program. The apple itself is a result of the, a really directed effort uh, in terms of producing new apple varieties for Washington State. So it was a the, the breeding program for apples started back in 1994 by Dr. Bruce Barrett. Bruce retired in 2008, which is when I came in and took over the process. But Bruce is very still very involved with uh, 
with the release of this particular apple. Um, the aim of the program, as I said, was to produce apples for this state that grow really well here in our conditions and that are available for our growers. And also, you know, that will provide good, improved eating experiences for consumers. So that was our target. And I hope that with the Cosmic Crisp Apple, that's what we've done. What is this like for you? Do you feel like a proud mom, you know, sending her kid off to college uh, with, with the Cosmic Crisp? Or, or, you know, I don't know, do you have a better metaphor for it? Yeah, that's a really good one. I mean, at, at most stepmom. <laughs> um, right. or, um, I mean, certainly it's really great. It's, it makes us all in the program feel really proud that we've developed, we've, we've created this apple, um, evaluated it, selected it from thousands of other potential new varieties. Uh, and, and it's now got to the point of it's, it's going to be in consumers' hands really soon. So mm. yeah, you know, we all feel kind of proud, but um, maybe you'd have to go to, to Bruce Barrett to, to, to ask him if he feels like a proud parent. Gotcha. <laughs> um, now, I want to just talk a little bit, uh, go, going back to that, that timeline, you know, even back to 1994, and then development, you know, began back in 1997. Um, is that process and is that timeline typical for, for the launch of a new variety? Um, yes. The program itself started in 1994, but the, the actual cross that, that created the seed that then ended up being the the, the original um, WA38 tree was was uh, made in 1997, um, and it took us then 20 year timeline to get those first trees in a commercial planting. The first first grower trees went out in 2017, and that I would say is is a reasonably typical timeline for an apple variety getting to that point, um, and. You know, it takes a long time because you're dealing with a tree. Every every time you you propagate uh, a tree, you've got to get that you've got to let that tree grow a woody structure that will then hold some fruit. Mm -hmm. And we we really wanted to take to do a lot of evaluation, very careful evaluation on this um, and and on every selection that comes out of the program in in terms of how robust it is. You know, will it will it work for the grower? Um, you know, is it a tree that they could work with? Um, will will the fruit store well? Will it run on a commercial packing line? Um, all those kind of things that that we really needed to evaluate to try and take out some of the risk for the industry in terms of the the huge investment that they've made in planting. And then obviously we wanted to make sure that it tasted great as far as the consumer was concerned. So all of these things really take time because you've got to have apples in order to do that kind of testing. So um, it's, it is a, a relatively slow process, but I think that all of us who've been involved in it really feel as if we've done as good a job as we could in terms of, of evaluation and, and, you know, getting a, a pretty robust product out there into the market. Can you speak a little bit more to, um, at a high level, how does breeding a new variety work? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> so, you know, fundamentally, we're talking sexual reproduction. And I mean, that's, you know, you kind of apples reproduce in the same way that that many other things do. You mm -hmm. know, you have a male and a female parent. Um, for, for us in breeding, we, we look to choose two parents that we think when combined together will produce offspring that have better better quality traits than than the the two parents um you know because 
in the same way that when uh, you have your your two parents and and you and your siblings, you're all you've all inherited maternal and paternal DNA and genes. Uh, but but you as siblings are all different. You, that all those all those genes are all mixed up in you and your siblings. It's the same with with apple seeds as mm. well. We choose two parents, and in this case, it was uh, Enterprise as the maternal parent, and then Honeycrisp as the pollen parent. And it's it's very simple. It's just as you know, transferring the pollen. Um, onto the stigmas of the of the enterprise flower, then waiting for that fruit to develop and collecting the seeds from inside. So that's the sort of the sexual reproduction part of it and the the creation, if you like, of the new individuals, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. the new seedlings. And the process of uh, the process in the breeding program after that is all about evaluation and selection. And so we deal at that point we're dealing with thousands of seeds that then grow into individual trees all different we do selection where we're we're evaluating them for different characteristics obviously fruit being principally the the thing we're focusing on and we we select the best individuals to move into a second phase of selection so we'll go from thousands to kind of tens of different ones um, the neat thing about apple is that once you've made your original tree from a seed, uh, you can then vegetatively propagate, which means that you can just take a bud from that original tree right. and you can put it onto a rootstock and you can make as many more as you want that are all identical. And that's, I mean, that's how the industry works. Mm-hmm. It's all vegetatively propagated. And so that enables us to kind of replicate make more trees, which enable us to see more fruit and do more evaluation. Mm-hmm. So that's fundamentally how it works. Right. And I guess the detailed part of that would be the evaluation process, it sounds like. Right. Yes. I mean, it's there's obviously a lot of thought initially about which two parents would you choose? Um, you know, what is it that you're trying to, what are you aiming for in the product at the end? Um, and But then once you've got that seed, then it's all really about uh, it's about really careful evaluation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really interesting, um, especially when you think of of how many apple varieties are are out there. Um, Catherine, I'm going to flip things back to you. Can you talk a little bit about the launch of the Cosmic Crisp? Obviously, it 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 hit shelves um, in December. This episode is going to be released right right at the end of November. So, I mean, I guess we're talking next week now. So, when we're talking about the launch of any new variety, I guess. What does that all entail, you know, from that commercialization uh, standpoint? Well, you know, Kate and, and Bruce worked on the breeding side. And then uh, once we took on the project, we developed a relationship with uh, Northwest Nurseries to propagate the trees and take on, a, develop a database to take on the order system of trees and then uh, we began developing the licensing protocol of, you know, how we're going to license and the parameters of that. And so in, in this scenario, our nurseries are, are licensed, the growers are licensed, and then our packer, shipper, and sales company. So it's licensed all the way through and tracked on a database. 
that same database, uh, which was developed by PVM, also provides a lot of information back to the growers and sales companies. But the sales companies then in that, that chain sell it to the retailers and ultimately to the consumers. So we have been working with WSU and WSU Extension on, you know, field days and, and helping to facilitate research um, uh, and supported by the industry, uh, continuing research on the Cosmic Crisp, and then, uh, you know, educating uh, growers, uh, packers, shippers on things like quality standards. And Mm -hmm. we had an industry representative group and uh, that met often with people like uh, Kate and and Nez Hanrahan and other researchers that helped develop a starch uh, chart and did a lot of research and inf- gave us a lot of information on uh, the WA38. Armed with that information, the industry group and PVM developed the quality standards, and we had uh, a number of meetings to talk to our growers and packers, shippers about that because we wanted to really bring the best apple to market. Also a uh, marketing industry advisory group that, uh, you know, we ask about packaging and marketing and, you know, what sort of needs they're going to have to take this uh, to market because there are 23 sales companies in the state and they are the ones that are working with the retailers and on one side and the packer shippers on the other and and actually uh, doing the distribution. So we together made a lot of decisions collectively. And then our, my team has been building uh, packaging design, uh, brand strategy, uh, PR with media you know, some retail signage and displays and, and, you know, working trade shows. Mm -hmm. So it's the full uh, gamut. We're getting ready to launch in December 1st, which is incredibly exciting. Yeah. And and so it's really interesting to hear that it's, it's a collaborative approach, right? There's so many moving pieces there with WSU, with the sellers, with the growers, and so it's a really interesting to hear that because there's so many moving pieces and so many different parties that there is that collaborative approach. Um, and, and, you know, it goes beyond just a contract or, or just a license. We've had a tremendous time the last few years, you know, getting together and making a plan uh, to educate everyone on WA38 and talk about the results we've had from consumer focus groups or taste testing and marketing uh, data and, you know, getting ready for this day. And, you know, it has been very cooperative, very collaborative. And I can't name anybody that's not excited Mm -hmm. about this apple. It's really the first for Washington state to have our own apple. And it's an amazing apple as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been a lot of work for everyone. And and I 
truly believe it's going to be very successful. Yeah, I, I, have, I haven't had a chance to uh, try it yet, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I guess I also read that, you know, distribution might be a little bit limited in Canada for the first few months, but uh, uh, certainly going to keep an eye on it for it to come on the shelves. Talking again more generally about variety itself, it seems like there's been an increased pursuit for new varieties. Um, what are the drivers behind pursuing a new variety? And, and, and why do you think there has been sort of this wider focus, um, you know, in, in, the, in the apple world, in the grape world, um, and so on for more variety? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of that is, it's it's consumer driven and i think that 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 really is the mindset of the modern consumer is that they they're excited by new products you know as a consumer you want you want a new experience you want to you want to try something different and i think we're also um moving very rapidly into being a whole load of foodies you know people are much more aware about what they're eating and getting a good eating experience and you know the nice thing about being in the fruit world is of course what we're doing is we're producing a healthy product as well and so when you add that in it's it's you know it's it's kind of a, a win-win right you, yeah. it's it's a great new it's a healthy product so consumers want to eat more because they know it's good for them um and and it you know it's a great eating experience as well and that added excitement of it's, hey, it's, it's something new. So there's that angle, but also because of that, it's a great apple for, uh, and for uh, growers. Um, and, you know, that, I think that's really why we've seen all these new apples come out there, because if there's consumer pull, then um, the grower is going to make more money on it. I mean, fundamentally, we're talking, it's a business. And so, you know, if the consumer is not willing to pay a little bit more for that new product, then those growers are not going to stay in business because they're not making enough money to cover the cost of production of some of the older varieties that they're they're currently growing. You know, consumer tastes have really been changing too. And like Kate mentioned, foodies, and it seems that they want a more complex flavor. They want the texture and the juiciness and that, you know, burst of sweet and, and, maybe a little tart in there. And so I think that's really driven it. And, you know, retail has also, you know, wanted something unique. And initially, every apple company went out and and found one, two, three kinds of apples that they felt were very delicious, very good to grow. But it's very difficult for one or a few collectively to grow enough to cover the market in the U.S. And so, you know, with Cosmic Crisp, we have volume coming, which is really addresses the issue with consumer because if it is um, become such a, a popular apple with that volume coming from Washington State, we can cover a lot of the country with uh, Cosmic Crisp deliveries. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much, Kate and uh, Catherine. I really appreciate your, your time. And um, obviously it's really exciting. So uh, thanks so much for uh, joining, joining the podcast. Thank you. Let's take a quick break with a word from our sponsor, Nature Fresh Farms. Hello, everyone. It's Sarah from Nature Fresh Farms bringing season greetings along with great new recipes to try during the holidays. At Nature Fresh Farms, we use innovation in every aspect of our operations, 
from growing to packaging to in the kitchen. Our team is always searching for new ways to incorporate our selection of vegetables with fruit favorites for delicious eats. Be sure to check out all our new recipes at naturefresh.ca slash recipes. Next up is Mac Riggin, Director of Marketing at Chelan Fresh. Mac, welcome to the show. Thank you. So can you start off uh, by talking a little bit about Chelan Fresh and uh, your role there? So Chelan Fresh is um, a marketing agency that is owned by a grower base up in uh, the branches from as far south as Yakima up to the Canadian border. We have a, co- a combination of family-owned farms. They're all family-owned farms, but some some of the organizations are independently owned by a family, and then one of them is a co-op, actually Chelan Fruit, and it happens to be the largest apple cooperative in existence still in the world. Um, so we produce a lot of apples, pears, and cherries. Um, we're probably the largest cherry shipper in the United States, and so we take that responsibility to try to be leaders in our field. Um, I hold the position of director of marketing at the company, and I wear a lot of different hats, but primarily I'm just about driving awareness of our company, our uniqueness, and all the um, special things that we do there. For us, we have the uh, Koru apple, the Dazzle apple, and two red flesh varieties. And then adding to that, we have uh, the Sugar Bee and Rocket, and we also have a proprietary cherry called the Orondo Ruby. And what drives us to be there is we're trying to decommoditize our offering. Talking about, you know, the sugar bee, uh, the rocket, um, what makes those varieties particularly unique? Well, the sugar bee, um, it's a honey crisp open cross, meaning that it was blossom on a honey crisp tree, was pollinated by a bee from pollen from another tree of unknown origin. Um, and so we were lucky enough to be working with a breeder that brought it to us. We tested it for years and years, found that it was eating good. We found that it was a, a grower friendly and that you could pack it and that it would store well. And so those were all things that needed to be met, those criteria. And so we brought it on board, and this is our third year of having commercial volume. And it just comes down to having a really good eating quality, crispiness, flavor, mm-hmm. all of that, you know, juiciness, thin skin. And so when you get all of that combined and customers have that great experience, then the word of mouth just drives demand and, and it does very well. The Koru apple is another good apple out of New Zealand. It's a cross between a Fuji and a Braeburn. And so it has the best of those qualities and it's, it's a much denser apple and offers a unique eating experience separate from the Honeycrisp, but equally good for people that have that sort of palate. What's really unique about the Rocket Apple is that it is grown small. It naturally produces itself small on the tree, and unlike other small apples, which are just kind of the derivatives that the tree puts off on a typical variety, the rocket grows small and it eats like a big apple. So it's a perfect snack sized apple. It offers portability. It's probably one of the first apples that really lends itself to the convenience sector in that it's very rugged. It's very hardy. It has great shelf life. It's the perfect size to snack on. Most importantly, it's extremely consistent. And that's what people in the snack category thrive on. If you buy a bag of chips or a candy bar or M&Ms, it's always the same. Right. And that predictability is what 
makes people just walking in a hurry buy it because they know what they got. So that's been the challenge of the fruit industry breaking in the convenience sector when you often don't have a good cold chain. Rocket fits that groove. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited about what we're going to be able to do with that small apple. That's really interesting. So from from the grower's perspective, what does that process look like? You know, from from conceptualizing uh, a new variety, breeding it, commercializing it, there certainly are a, a lot of steps there. Yeah, so the first step is to find an apple that customers really like. If, if you don't have that, there's no point in growing it. And so I kind of alluded to earlier, then step two is how grower-friendly is it? Does it produce well? Does it grow within a nice bell-shaped curve? Or does it grow a bunch of pumpkin size or a bunch of super small ones that don't taste good? Um, is it, does it bear consistently year to year? Um, does it color up pretty uniformly so you don't have to pick it multiple times? So all those lend itself to whether it's grower-friendly or not. So once the consumer likes it, then the grower likes it, then you got to decide the people that are going to pack it. Does it bruise real easy? If not, that's good. Does it store well, meaning that you can lengthen the window, therefore kind of manipulating that supply-demand curve? If you have an apple that doesn't store well, you've got to force all that volume into a short window. So when it really stores well, it just lends itself to a whole lot more opportunity Mm -hmm. and profitability. And then lastly, um, when you put it out there, you know, does it meet the customer's expectations when you put it out on a wider format? Does it do well in export markets? Does it do globally across the United States? Because people have different tastes from here to the Southeast to New York. So once you've met all those parameters, then it's worth sticking a tree in the ground. And Mm -hmm. the last thing a grower has to also remember is that not all apples grow the same everywhere. Apples tend to be very site-specific. Um, when you look at Honeycrisp, they grow well up in Nova Scotia. They grow well in cooler regions in Washington. If you have a north-facing slope that doesn't get as much hot sun, they tend to do a little better. So, so apples by these, these new varieties are a little temperamental in that you just can't plant them anywhere. You need to be smart about where you plant them if you want to get the absolute best piece of product. Hmm. Are there any specific challenges you know, that, that come to mind when launching a new variety? So last part I should talk to you about is the retail part. Um, retailers are just inundated these days with new everything. I mean, 30 years ago, you might have had 300 items in a produce department. Now there's 600. Apples kind of were that year-round item along with bananas and citrus that really were king. Now when someone goes into a store, there's a, there's a real wide array. You know, berries are almost universally uh, non-seasonal anymore. Mangoes, all kinds of tropical fruits. So apples are competing with shelf space and consumer's plate and consumer's share of mouth. I mean, you you have to deliver a good eating piece of fruit or it's just not going to carry the day. So retailers are always looking for that point of differentiation, yet they don't want to risk losing a bunch of money bringing in a new apple that doesn't sell. And typically when we have a new apple, our upfront costs are high, so we're asking a lot of money for what's basically a mystery. Yeah. So the challenge is, is with, a, with our low-margin business, it's a challenge to come up with all the marketing money to drive that awareness. We don't have money for TV ads and all that. And demos in a store are $200 a demo. So just multiply that over a couple thousand stores. You can see it gets expensive quick. Mm-hmm. And so there's a challenge in developing that, you know, and that, that driver and that awareness and getting that fruit in, the, in people's mouths. And so 
Um, you know, we have a saying that it's marketing's job here to get the first sale, but the Apple has to get the second sale. You want to make sure you have a good promotion, you got consistent product, and then if you can get a retailer to buy into supporting you, and if they take a little ownership, maybe they'll put an ad in the paper, or they'll drive awareness on their social media, or they'll put it right up front with people coming in the store with a big display, lots of signage. Someone will do their own static demos. Um, we've had retailers that allowed us to put shirts in their, on our, their employees all through the store. They saw Sugar Bee shirts. Um, they had the Sugar Bee name all over a bunch of billboards in their market area. So those were some things that were just consistently working with retailers because they know customers better than anybody. And when you can get a good relationship with them, it really helps to drive that awareness and that momentum. You know, it's all about lifting that off, apple off the ground, making sure you can the, – the, the criteria for selecting an apple are the same no matter what country you're in. Um, and anymore, I think the future is going to be club apples. I just think that's where growers are going to say we're not going to just have an open variety that anybody and everybody can plant because then the competitive advantage is always the lowest cost producer. Yeah, I've actually read a couple articles that, you know, suggest that that the apple market is a little bit saturated and even when it comes to mm -hmm. to varieties. I mean, there's there's so many varieties out there. Yeah, you choice anxiety. Can you imagine going in and you see 36 apple varieties, you're thinking, which one do I buy? Right. Like looking at a wine rack, right? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting in one way, but we have to realize that it's it's everybody's responsibility, the grower, the shipper, and the retailer to educate consumers, got to support it with a demo or some kind of introductory pricing so that people, you can lower that risk of entry. Once they taste it and they like it, then the Apple's demand will determine the price. Right. Well, that's yep. uh, it's really interesting. It's really great, uh, really great insight, Mac. I, uh, I definitely appreciate you uh, joining the podcast. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Last up, I wanted to expand the conversation to also talk about table grape varieties. My next guest is Bill Polis, director of Import Grapes and Stone Fruit at Oppie. Welcome, Bill. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Can you start off, Bill, uh, by talking a little bit about your role at Oppie and the grape varieties that uh, Oppie imports and distributes? Uh, my role at Oppenheim, I'm the director, as my title implies, the import grapes and stone fruits. So I'm in charge of basically that part of the grape category. It starts usually about now in November, and it runs through the end of May. Predominantly, 98% of our volume is either from Peru or Chile. And I'm the one that you know, puts the programs together along with our offices in Santiago and Lima. And then also works with our sales team up here to put together sales plans to help execute these. In terms of varieties, boy, we would probably have, in, I would say the traditional varieties, we would probably still be bringing in about 8 to 10 of those. The new varieties have really mushroomed through the years. Mm -hmm. I think that you could probably see between Peru and Chile, we, you could see over 20 different new varieties uh, across our inventory between now and, let's say, the uh, end of April. Today, we're really focusing on varieties specifically and, and the drivers, sure. the innovation behind variety. What would you say are the drivers or reasons behind offering a variety of great flavors and types? Like, why is that so important? I think it's important because the last few years, most of the data that we have found is that the grape category 
even though it continues to be a large uh, factor in the produce section, has sort of stagnated. And in my opinion, I think we need a refresh. I think that we need to give the retailer a better red and green. You know, they, people usually, retailers sell as red grapes, green grapes, and then maybe black grapes, and then they may use novelty grapes. I think we need to, to give them a better red and green and black grape to sell day-to-day. And also these novelty grapes are things that drive people to the produce section and particularly the grape section. So I, I think the... the we need a refresh. For sure. So it's about driving consumer demand. Um, yes. Not only are these new varieties, they look better, they taste better, but in fact, they give better yields to the growers. So they're easier. Once you get them going, you can get more boxes per acre or hectare. Mm-hmm. So they're in the long run, they're going to be more economical too. Now that kind of leads into one of my Next questions. With that relationship with the grower, if they're in Peru or Chile or wherever, how involved are you or a distributor or an importer in the development process, in the breeding process of of a new variety or, or of a new product? Well, I'm not a uh, I'm not a lab guy or an agronomist. Uh, mine is just more giving input. In the last few years, we we were very adamant with our growers in Chile, not as much in Peru because it was more of, an, of, a, of a fledging industry that they needed to come out with a better red and green grape, one that tasted better, one at better size, that all the retailers were upgrading their specs in the United States and the varieties that traditionally we were bringing in from Peru and Chile, it was getting more difficult in order to make the average retailer spec in terms of size and also eating experience. So Mm -hmm. it it was more just transmitting what the retailers up here are saying and what we are seeing up here from some of the, uh, the varieties, new varieties that are working, give that as hints. Maybe they get involved with those varieties or if they can find something that maybe from another breeder that's close to that variety, something like that. We're not actually in the, you know, we're not in the laboratory, you know, coming right. out, we're in the developments. <laughs> we'll leave those to the breeders. Like we say, let the singers sing and let the dancers dance. But I think we can give some good insight to our growers, what our ultimate customers want up here. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting business relationship because I mean, like you guys know what the demand is from retailers and from consumers and you have to, I guess, take that back. Yes. And that just mentioning that this it's changing, you know, that's the one thing. It seems like the grape section or what pe- kind of grapes that people have on their supplies, it's on their stands, it's a source of pride. For most of the retailers in North America, they pride themselves on having the extra large berries or something that really stands out and also eats very good. So grapes are one of the things in the produce section that real people really think they can make a difference. And if you, if you give them less than what they want on their spec, you run the risk of being put on the shelf. Now, are, are there any specific challenges or, or like, do you have any specific examples of what that working relationship is like, you know, when launching a new variety? Well, when you launch it the first couple of years, usually the yield isn't what you want to be. It's probably not the first year that they export it. Some of these varieties have been not the sizing that you get from the first couple picks, et cetera. It usually gets better after you've been, uh, you know, after it comes into production two or three years. Um, sometimes I think that our growers have 
you know, they've heard some of the success stories for all these uh, new varieties. And I think in the last couple of years, they've been a little bit disappointed that what some of the FOBs we were getting five or six years ago, as opposed to where the reality is these days, as more new varieties come to market, that the premium or the high FOBs aren't as much as they were in the previous years when there was more of a scarcity in new varieties. But like I tell the growers, going forward, the new varieties are going to become more mainstream and the premium is going to be getting, uh, you know, the business. So when it comes to Oppie grape uh, varieties specifically, uh, what, what's new in the, uh, in the Oppie world? We're very excited over the uh, summer here. We were appointed a licensee of Sunworld as one of their marketers in, for North America for the, uh, for the South American grapes and also out of South Africa. So we're very excited. They have some very good varieties, mm-hmm. um, and this is going to be our first year marketing them, so we're very eager to get them in our, in our customers' hands. Um, several of our growers are going to be really expanding into the Sun World line in the next few years, so we're excited we're going to be able to grow with those growers. And we've had some positive response from some of our retailers that are very anxious and very happy that Oppenheimer is going to be also marketing the Sun World grapes this year along with some of the other nurseries. Well, that's definitely very exciting. Yes. Well, listen, Bill, I wanted to uh, thank you so much for for your time. Take care. A big thank you again to all our guests for joining me on this episode. A reminder to check out CPMA forward slash education to learn more about our e-learning courses, Produce Basics and Produce Essentials. Keep up to date with CPMA by following us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And click that subscribe button for Produce Talks on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Until next time, fill half your plate with fruits and veggies, continue to seek out new knowledge, and basically never stop growing.